0: Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. You know, it's a festive and joyous time for you and for me. Very excited about this day. You know, we have the right to be festive. And we have the responsibility, really, to be joyous. It's given to us. Literally given to us. Because, in a way, we have the reason for the occasion. And so today, what I wanted to do is take a moment and discuss a little bit about Christmas. What are we saying when we say Merry Christmas? What, are, what do the words mean? And, you know, we want to define what we mean. It's something that we say in our house all the time. Um, you know, I know I, I made a comment once before about reading through agreements and, in reading through these agreements at the beginning of an agreement or a contract, a lot of times they, they'll have a term and then they'll have a definition of that term. And they're doing that because they want to make sure that everybody's on the same page, that everybody understands. When I say this, I mean that. When I say that, I mean the other, if you follow what I'm saying. And it's funny because sometimes, and I don't know if you're like me, but have you ever said something and you didn't mean that, you meant something else? Um, I, I have many a time where it was up here, and it sounded just fine. It came out here, and it didn't sound right at all. Uh, and I've even had times where what I had up here was in totally in air. I remember talking with a guy once who, and, and we all know him, uh, but he had raw milk. And, and, and I was discussing with him his raw milk. I didn't know that he had this. I'm, I'm looking at it, and, and it's very important to know that there is a difference between pasteurized and homogenized, and so the process of pasteurization is basically where, uh, and I'm talking about milk for a moment here, okay, because that's our context, but there's this, this basically this jar of milk, and when you pasteurize milk, you put it to a low heat, and that low heat, in what's, what it does is it kills the bacteria. It kills a lot of the bacteria. It sterilizes the milk in essence. Now, keep in mind, as it kills bacteria, that might be dangerous. Well, it's also killing bacteria that's not so dangerous that you actually may want. But the process of pasteurization is that process. In a way, it's sterilizing this milk. Some will say, well, it makes the milk safe. Okay, that's, that's fine. Uh, that's what it does, but it also takes away a lot of the nutrition from the milk, too. But anyway, that's the process of, uh, of pasteurization. Now, if something is homogenized, it is similar, or it is made, it is made to be mixed. It's homogenized, okay? And so uh, this gentleman was showing this jar of milk, and, and the milk had separated because he had been holding it for a while, and so there was some cream toward the bottom, and then there was some liquid there to the top. And so in talking with him about this, I was saying, so this milk isn't homogenized, thinking I was saying pasteurized. I was trying to say, so this milk isn't pasteurized. But anyway, I said, no, this, so this milk isn't homogenized. He kind of looked at me, and he went like this, he shook it, and then he said, there, it's homogenized. Okay, words matter. <laughs> And uh, so, and I've got many of those stories. Those of you who know me, you know I've got about a dozen more. Uh, but I'm going to stop with just that one. That one's playful. So, when we say Merry Christmas, when we say Merry, what does Merry mean, even? When somebody is Merry, what does that mean? Well, as being Merry means just that, that you have a cheerful disposition, that you're laughing, you're laughing happily. It is inhibited joy that's released by God's grace and the freedom that flows from his forgiveness. A person who is merry is experiencing joy and they are, they are expressing that joy with a cheerful disposition, Mary. So Mary, being merry, technically would reach past fatigue. It would reach past being tired. It overcomes the care of the world, because being married means that we've received the grace from God that in this time of Advent, He has literally brought to you and to me the very embodiment of hope, peace, joy, and love. Hope, peace, joy, and love. Jesus is actually the personification of that, the person... was wrapped in the careful as a tiny baby that was wrapped in swaddling clothes and of all places a manger, as we all are aware, or barn, if you would like. He slept with his mom and his dad. He also slept with animals some 2,000-plus years ago. So what I thought I would do is begin this morning reading from, and I know we've read it earlier this morning, but I'm going to read again Luke chapter 2. And that will be the start of our message this morning. So please stand for the reading of of this word. So Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 2, says this. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. And laid him in a manger, because there was no room for him at the inn. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel from the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be assigned to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men." So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste. They had seen him, and when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept these things and pondered them in their heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Please be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning, in this uh, special day, Lord, the day that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord, the person who's also man, or who's also God. Uh, What a phenomenal concept, God, that blows my mind. But Lord, you are beyond my understanding. You say your thoughts are far above my thoughts. Your ways are far above my ways. And for that, God, I am truly and sincerely thankful. I pray, God, that we would take hold of that this day, knowing that from here forward, Lord, your thoughts for us are good and they are you have plans for us that are good i pray lord that we would take hold this morning and and exercise uh the celebration that we experience this day in jesus name i pray this Amen. Amen. amen amen so the person jesus as we discussed in the creed earlier today who came from chalcedon was literally the person who is god and this god brings to us through christ hope. And so what we're going to do is discuss today this definition as we, as we think through uh, what we're talking about with Christmas. We're going to be talking about, and, and you'll be seeing me point over here a couple of times, in reference to uh, this, this season of Advent. And so I'm going to be reviewing today hope, peace, joy, and love. So those are things that we'll be talking about. And in so doing, we're going we're gonna to hear a little bit of definition, and then we're going to have some application with each, okay? So starting with hope. So as we remember hope, it's not a wishy-washy, maybe hoping for an unsure something that may happen, as what we may see today. We may hear somebody who says, you know, I wish for this, or I hope for that, but they don't necessarily have an expectation or any measure of certainty that this is going to happen. They just hope for something. Well, that's not necessarily the scriptural hope that we're talking about. So if we look at, if we look at the definition of hope, and if you pull it from, say, uh, the Greek or the Hebrew text, you're going to hear something that gives us more certainty. Hope in Scripture means a strong and confident expectation that, God, that what God has promised in the Word is true or it even has occurred or it will occur because his word said so. So our hope lays with us a different level of expectation. So the hope that we have is not necessarily a when you wish upon a star, a Disney hope, right? It's not, oh gee, I hope for something to happen. I hope the Buckeyes will beat Georgia this coming few days from now, okay? That's not the hope that we're talking about. We're talking about something that is certain. We're pulling it from Scripture. God has said so. It's either one of a few things. It's either already happened or it's going to, it's going to happen because his word said so. And when we take a hold of this tangible and real hope, <coughs> it does things. It does things for us. A couple of things that it will do. One, it will energize us and motivate us and lead us to, to, among other things, joy and peace. So how do I know that? Well, Romans 15, 13 says, Now the may, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. His hope helps lead us to joy and peace. He gives strength to the weary. Isaiah 40, 31 says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. It gives strength and courage and boldness. For us, hope does this. Psalm 31:24 says, "Be strong, and let your heart take courage. All you who hope in the Lord. It gives us confidence day in and day out. First Timothy 4:10 says, "For in this we labor and strive." That's labor and strive. That's what we're doing today and tomorrow because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Hope is tangible. Hope energizes us. Hope does something for us, and it makes us do something. We don't sit and wish for something. Our hope is exercised. It's tangible. It's active. So when God provides the hope, there is for real, true hope. Let's talk about peace. There is also a real and a tangible peace. So I'm going to read out of John 14, 25 to 27. It says this. Jesus was talking to his disciples. He said, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all the things I said to you. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. So the peace that was given from Jesus is his peace. Who originated this peace? Jesus God originated this peace. God is a God of peace. God is not in heaven going, what a tumultuous day. I don't know what's going on. God is not in heaven doing that. God is peaceful. God is, we're going to get to joy as well. God is joyful. He is satisfied. He is in heaven. And he owns peace. And what he's doing is he's saying, I'm going to give you my peace. That's the peace from God. So let's consider this for a minute. What about this peace? I'm going to pull in 1 Peter, <clears throat> pardon me, chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, which says this. Because peace is going to do something for us as well. Peace isn't going to have us sit on the couch and wish for peace. Peace does something. It motivates us. It energizes us just like hope. It says this, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer but the face of the lord is against those who do evil so what is he calling for us today in the context of peace his call says turn away from evil and do good <coughs> notice this is an active peace There are things for us to do as we experience peace. We are to do good. And then there's a consequence that comes with that. The consequence, we catch his eyes. We catch his eyes. We have his attention. He just said, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, those who are doing right. We have his attention. He says his ears are open to our prayer. So his eyes are on the righteous. His ears are open to our prayers. He hears our prayers. And when he answers our prayers, what does he do? What are some things that he does when we pray? What are some things that he will do for us? Well, I'm pulling out of Philippians for a moment. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then what happens? And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We're busy doing good. We're with thanksgiving in our hearts. If you remember early on in Advent, we were talking about shading this season with thanksgiving, knowing that if we put the glasses of thanksgiving on, everything looks different. Anything that happens and comes your way if you have a thankful heart with that and have an understanding of that there is a sovereign God and He is doing something right here and right now, we can look at any circumstance that comes our way with thanksgiving in our hearts. So we can do that even in the midst of turmoil or even in the midst of a difficult circumstance and know that when we do that in our pursuing righteousness, He brings about peace. Interesting. He brings about peace, and that peace is not a circumstantial peace. That peace isn't, says, that isn't one that says, hey, I was hoping for something, and lo and behold, a check came in the mail, and wow, I now have peace. Mm-hmm. Nope, that's not the peace we're talking about. <clears throat> we're talking about the peace that doesn't make sense, the peace that surpasses all of our understanding. That's the peace that God owns. That's the peace that he gives you and me. So he guards us, by the way, for all time. When he ushers this peace, it is a for real and a true peace. I got an interesting story of of a peace that I'm going to say that surpasses understanding, and it's in the context of uh, Christmas at this point. And so I thought, well, it's fitting. A story involving peace on Christmas Day, but this actually happens during a time of war. Actually, it's happening during World War I in 1914. Some may have already heard this, called the Miracle on the Western Front, Uh, sometimes called the Christmas Truce of 1914. Basically, it started Christmas Eve, and you, you have the Germans on one side, and then you have the Brits and the French on the other side, and they've been fighting. Okay? And in the middle, there's a section called No Man's Land. And you could imagine why it might be called No Man's Land. Okay? Because they've been fighting. They've dug trenches, and it's just been a horrific time. This is World War I. But Christmas Eve, there was some singing that was heard in the trenches. Some Christmas caroling started happening in the trenches. And the gunfire stopped. There was a pause. And in that, in that pause, the singing persisted and it grew on both sides. So, but check this out. That by morning, Christmas Day, the gunfire did not begin. Instead, what happened on Christmas Day, they started talking across no man's land one to another. They actually started exchanging pictures. They started showing pictures of their family. They exchanged cigarettes. Of course, during that particular time, that was a big deal. You know what they did in no man's land Christmas Day? They played soccer. The enemies played soccer in no man's land in Christmas Day of 1914. Now, I think that the acknowledgement of Christ overwhelmed those guys. That's just what I think. I'm not telling you what I know. You know, you can uh, think other things and you probably will be just as valid as me, but I think that the acknowledgement of Christ overwhelmed these guys. They were men of war, they were actively fighting, and something got ushered in with these guys during this season. The thing that God ushered in was peace. Peace was ushered in and pushed into these men the peace of God that was tangible. It was very real. That was a tangible peace. So what does the Bible say? Turn away from evil and do good. This is how we pursue peace. Peace is something that we do. And then so he watches us. He hears us, and then he gives us peace regardless of our circumstances. Okay, peace. Let's turn to joy. Joy. The definition of joy. Again, we're going to keep talking about real stuff versus fictional stuff. A practical and working definition of joy would be something that would sound kind of like this. By choosing to respond to external circumstances with inner contentment and satisfaction because we know that God will use these experiences to accomplish his work in and through our lives. You follow me? Regardless of what comes your way, you will know that God is working in you, but he's also working through you. God is, regardless of your circumstance. True joy, this is an interesting thing for me to say because you've heard me say many, many times, please don't look within for answers because you're not going to find any, okay? Or the kind of answers you find are going to be bad, okay? But in this case, true joy is now found circumstantially. True joy is found within, but not within yourself. Nope, not within yourself. It comes from somewhere else, this true joy that's in, that actually comes from his Holy Spirit. Remember that this this joy is coming from a substantive God who provides for us contentment. Where do I get this from? Well, it's a fruit of His Spirit. Galatians 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So a fruit of the Holy Spirit is actually joy. Where does joy come from? His Spirit. Where is His Holy Spirit? Is His, Holy, His Holy Spirit's all over. I get it. I do understand. But His Holy Spirit who is within us provides us His joy, His tangible joy, His real joy. The joy that He provides. I'm going to read to you another place here. It says this. Funny, I forgot to write down where I got this from. So you're just going to have to go with trust that this is pulling out of uh, Scripture. It even says verse 9. <laughs> so just, just find a, 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 a chapter somewhere in here that has a verse 9 and get started, if you want the reference. But it says this, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Okay, it's John 15. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that to lay one's life down for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain. Fruit of what? Fruit of the Holy Spirit. Fruit should remain that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you these things. I command you that you love one another. So I'm going to pull something out of this series of verses, and I want to make a very obvious statement. Love and joy are interrelated. So I want to take a moment and talk about love. And, and you're going to hear me say the word joy again, I'm sure. But as I, as I think through love, love, again, is active. It's not an emotion. Yes. Love is an emotion. But what I want to do is take a moment and provide at least context that makes sense for me. And if it doesn't make sense for you, see me afterward. No problem. We can have a conversation about it and maybe it'll make better sense. But something in our home, there are times that we try to uh, find sources for news or looking for news. It's just something that's facts. Give us some data. Give us some facts. And a lot of times what we find is a portion that you might call News slash commentary, okay? What you get is a story, and then along with that story, you get an opinion. Or you get a person's take on what just happened. You don't necessarily get raw news. Do you guys follow what I mean? Moms and dads, can you relate to this? Man, sometimes we could just have somebody that's just going to give us the data, give us the information, and then maybe we can make a good decision off of what we're hearing rather than give us your opinion. Okay, I'm saying that because emotions are a very good thing. They are. They're something that God gives us. So when somebody feels love, then that's a good thing. But that love is not necessarily a good governor. That emotion isn't necessarily good to govern your behavior. Why? Well, because our emotions aren't necessarily based on the truth. Our emotions are kind of like commentary. You follow me? The emotion, in a way, is kind of give me a feeling to say, you know what I think about this? I feel blah, blah, blah. I feel this or I feel that. It provides commentary. Maybe that commentary will motivate me to do the right thing, but should I do the thing based on my emotion? No, I should not. Please do not do that. Maybe let the motivation push me to discern something that is truthful. That's not commentary. So, a couple of verses that come. Very obvious verse, John 3, 16. We're very familiar with this. Verse. In fact, uh, we've talked about this on a few occasions. Very popular, we know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Is that news or is that commentary? That's news. I want to share with you. This isn't necessarily, you can interpret it differently if you want. I'm okay with that. But I don't necessarily read it this way. For God so loved the world. He was so emotional. He was so taken in that he gave his only begotten son. It wasn't that his emotions were, were pushing him and guiding him. It was more of a tangible this is how he loved the world. For God so loved this world. This is what he did. This is how he did this. He's providing for us what? Not emotion. Because when we read this, it isn't he so loved the world that he cried and wept and was so happy. I'm not saying that Jesus did not weep. There are examples. He was emotional. He is an emotional God. So don't hear from me that emotions are bad. They are very, very good. But we do want to hear that emotions are commentary. They're not necessarily news. What God wants us to do in worshiping him is in spirit and in truth, not in spirit and good emotion. Okay? So... John points us to love that that our uh, Heavenly Father has. But in this love that he did, I'm sorry, in this love that he had, he did something. It was motivating. It was active. Love and joy are interrelated. He said he would have his joy remain in us and his joy would be full. We read a minute ago. And then he goes on to give a command that we love one another. And then he spends a moment and defines this love and says there's not a greater love that a person would lay down their lives for one another, which is a little forecasting or foreshadowing of what he's going to do. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Here's Jesus talking about no greater love that a person has that he lays his life down for another person. That doesn't necessarily mean that we are to take a bullet here. Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. But what does he do next? He continues to talk in this, and he says something to me that might be one of the most peaceful things I think I've ever read. He called them friends. Jesus called them his friends. So remember, he just made this comparison of love. It was kind of a comparison. No greater love that a person would have. So, in a way, he's saying, this is a, there are different levels here, I guess, but you're not going to have a greater level of love than lay, laying down your life. I want to give a couple of options of maybe love in a love comparison uh, scale here. In my house, if somebody's making chocolate chip cookies, that is a tremendous love, a phenomenal love in my house. For me, it would be a very strong start if I'm going to lay it out there. But as I think, if we move on to something more loving, if we were to remember what we just heard, this isn't necessarily taking a bullet, like I said, but it also means to look on the interest of others. In Philippians chapter 2, it says this, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each of you esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not for his own interests, but for the interests of others. I think that is actually a form of laying down our life for one another. That make sense? Looking to the interests of others. I think that if we look to the interests of others, that allows us to lay our life down. That, that is in a way laying our life down. I can see that as a very high measure of love as well. You with me? So we're about to make this full circle. Jesus said to his disciples, remember what he said, I bring you peace, his peace. As in John fifteen nine, he says, I have loved you. He continues to give us this love to one another, and then his joy is fulfilled in you and me. And then if we remember in First Timothy from an earlier read, to fix our hope in the living God, we complete the circle. There is a, con- a common denominator with all of this. He is a common denominator of all this. We are fixing our hope in Him. We live our lives in His love and we receive His joy. And then He brings us His peace, because now we are his friends. Do we realize this? That makes us want to celebrate. He did this. He provides for us, for you and me, hope, peace, love, joy. This is the person, Jesus Christ. So now, I think we've successfully defined Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to all. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this day, for this opportunity to take a moment and a pause to celebrate this day that you have given us, you have just done and done and done, and you have continued to do in our lives, and I know you will continually today and tomorrow. We have hope in that because we know you have said so. You have shown yourself trustworthy time and time again, and for that we are so thankful. I pray, Lord, that this day we would remember, Lord, your peace, that when we say Merry Christmas, Lord, that we would remember who we are being merry about. It is you, Lord, and we are thankful, God, that you are in our lives today. And I pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.